Welcome to episode 12 of the KIPPS Personal Trainer Application Podcast. My name is Tyler Valencia and I'm the president of KIPPS and Kettlebell Concepts. In this episode, we have guest Dr. Ayla Donlin, who is the director of the Life Fit Center at Cal State University, Long Beach, where they focus on health and wellness for students, faculty, and individuals from the community. Along with the Life Fit Center, Dr. Donlin has been in the fitness industry for 15 years as a group fitness instructor, personal trainer, manager, general manager, and professor of kinesiology. Health and wellness is such a large topic that many personal trainers associate with SMART goals or even the mental aspect of fitness. Throughout this episode, we discuss wellness techniques and how fitness professionals can integrate these techniques into their programming. Let's get to the episode. In the world of health and fitness and personal training, group exercise, there's always a varying definition or understanding of what wellness health coaching means. And some coaches, in my opinion, do not understand or have an idea of how they can integrate it into their business. Ayla, first, thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, to kick things off, what does wellness mean to you? Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tyler. And I think wellness is, I see that as like the bigger umbrella term, right? Where mm-hmm. everything fitness falls under the bigger umbrella of wellness. And for me, wellness is a much, it's very holistic, right? So we can break it into these different compartments where we talk about physical wellness and social wellness and spiritual wellness and mental or psychological wellness we can compartmentalize it like that and look at it in parcels. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's, it's a much more holistic approach of how do all of those pieces integrate? <laughs> how does fitness integrate with nutrition, integrate with sleep, all those pieces. So wellness is the larger, more holistic umbrella that all of that falls under for me. Nice. Nice. And so to kind of give listeners an idea of where you're coming from with that response. Mm-hmm. And I think really um, explaining what you do now at yeah. the Cal State University Long Beach um, uh, Center, what do you, how do you kind of um, define what you do there, but also what is it that you do there? Yeah. Thanks for that question. So my role at the university, Cal State University, Long Beach, I run an experiential learning laboratory for the kinesiology department. And we serve students in kinesiology, but also within the College of Health and Human Services. And we provide those students with experiential learning opportunities and research opportunities by serving as a health and fitness facility. For older adults in the community, as well as all faculty and staff on campus. Wow. The the students really are learning by running the facility, right? They're serving as service desk personnel. There are group fitness instructors, our personal trainers, our small group program leaders, our health and wellness coaches. They're offering wellness workshops for Mm -hmm. the membership. So I really appreciate the hands-on practical approach that that provides for the students. And what we offer at LifeFit really is a wellness service because we're promoting, of course, the fitness side because we're a fitness facility, 
but it's wellness in that there's a huge social component and aspect because that's so important for older adults specifically. Mm-hmm. And then just this semester, we actually started a pilot employee wellness program that we called the Go Beach Well Pilot Employee mm-hmm. Wellness Program. That's got about 230 employees on campus participating in it. And that's, wow. that's comprehensive in nature. So we offer weekly wellness goal check-ins for the employees. We're offering wellness workshops. We were able to successfully convert all of that into a virtual space so that we can continue that program no matter what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd say the work that I do, my background is in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. I've been a part of the fitness industry for close to 15 years now, started as group fitness instructor, personal trainer, moved into management, was a group fitness director, then the general manager of a fitness facility. And then I've been involved in higher education for about that same amount of time, Mm -hmm. teaching students and educating students in the fitness industry. And then recently, um, I became certified as a wellness coach. And I've always been interested in wellness, again, in that larger sense, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just focusing in on fitness or just focusing in on nutrition. And so now I've taken on uh, at the Life Fit Center and then also independently taken on my own wellness coaching clients. Mm -hmm. So everything I do now, uh, both in the professional services that I'm providing, but also in the way that I'm teaching and training students everything I do is, is through that lens of wellness. Yeah. So to unpack some of that right now, and I think that one, it's awesome to hear what you're doing at the, um, the campus, because we don't often think about the application to work, to life. We just think in terms of fitness exercise, because that's, you know, essentially what we're educated on and what we think about when we think about personal training, group fitness, it's that exercise component, getting healthy, but there are these other aspects, as you've said, with life, with mental, all those kinds of things. So to hear the integration within a work um, environment, those are things that professionals, they're, I'll say they're untapped. They can get into these things, understand how it benefits them. I remember a piece of research that I went through. I want to say maybe two months ago when it was talking about just how 30 minutes of exercise and that payoff into their work environment, school, what that does in terms of focus and uh, exercise adherence, those types of things. And yet we don't see that full integration all the time. So what are those things that you mentioned that you work with some clients and you integrate wellness with them? What are some of those things that you typically do with them? Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you know, when, when you think about um, wellness in the umbrella sense, I think it's helpful for folks if you can break it down a little bit and compartmentalize it. So I like to think of it in uh, almost like four legs of a table, right? So it's like there's the physical leg, there's the social leg, there's the spiritual leg, and then there's the, the mental emotional leg. And you're essentially keeping those four legs of the table balanced, making sure that you are putting into yourself from a wellness perspective in each of those areas 
in such a way that as an individual, you are balanced. So for clients, it's looking at, you know, from a physical perspective, you know, what are the fitness activities that you are participating in? Mm -hmm. What does your nutrition routine look like? What does your sleep pattern look like? Mm -hmm. Then related to that physical aspect, the mental, emotional aspect, you know, sleep influences that as well. And what types of things are you doing to take care of your mental, emotional wellness? Are you reading? Are you meditating? Mm -hmm. um, and so all of these legs that we might define separately end up intertwining as well, right? Because a big mental, emotional piece is also our social connectedness. And that's, that's the social leg. <laughs> so what do your relationships look like? How do you define your positive relationships? Who are the people in your life that you are really well connected to and build you up in positive ways? Yeah. And then on the spiritual side, again, that connects in with, depending on someone's background and what they're interested in from a spiritual perspective, um, that can be, what are you doing to connect with nature? What are you doing to connect with a larger sense of purpose? How are you finding meaning day to day? Um, and what kind of space are you creating for that? So I like to, with clients, think of it in that holistic sense. It's not just about what you're doing from a workout perspective. It's not just about the food that you're putting into your body. It's all of those pieces and how do they intertwine? Yeah. I really like that uh, explanation you gave there with the table and the four legs. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said before, not all the time do fitness professionals uh, think about all those different aspects. Sometimes you do see eventually, sometimes scrolling through Google or even Instagram, you'll see a certification for, you know, learning more about sleep. And sometimes yeah. you scroll a little bit more, you'll find one about the mental aspect and you scroll, 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 you'll see a, a CPT one come up, but connecting all of those items into health coaching, wellness coaching, you kind of get the whole picture of ways that you can benefit your client. You know, that is, in my opinion, what we're trying to get at here with the yeah. health and wellness, but also the application of it is ways that we can improve programming for our clients, offering them more to see better outcomes. If they're sleeping better, they're most likely going to be able to have a better session with you on that exercise component. If they're eating better, if they're feeling better mentally, all those things are going to tie into hopefully a better well-rounded program instead of just, okay, let's go in the gym, let's hit it as hard as we can, and you're going to do better. Well, maybe you are. Well, you know, we don't know what you're doing on those 23 hour, other 23 hours in the day. So incorporating those things, is, I think, just makes a well-rounded personal trainer, group exercise instructor, fitness professional. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think Obtaining continuing education and training in wellness or wellness coaching for any type of fitness professional is so beneficial because it does help us to get a lot better at empowering our clients to take ownership of their goals, mm. to help our clients clearly define their goals, and to help map out an action plan, a game plan to accomplish those goals and to yeah. see ourselves as partners in that endeavor, as opposed to 
the end of, like as opposed to the one responsible for the client's goals it's mm -hmm. really shifting that and it's saying no this is a much more client driven client focused process so i'm going to help empower my clients to really own their goals and really unpack the why behind the goal mm -hmm. until we get to a place where that's really clear because then that helps the client lay out the game plan for themselves and you're yeah. just there to be the accountability partner and to reflect back what that process is going to look like that, that's one of the things i love most about wellness coaching is to to really take the time to get at the heart of the goal and then help the client work through the process of mapping out the game plan of how to get there mm -hmm. before we move on are you, would you say that you use SMART goals with them or do you use a different type of mapping with them? I'd, I'd say that's a framework that I always have mm -hmm. uh, in the back of my mind through goal setting. But usually, right with clients, it starts out where the goal might be a little bit more ambiguous, uh, not as clearly shaped or defined. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't say that I necessarily see it as a systematic process where I'm saying to them, you know, okay, S, how do we make this goal more specific? And mm -hmm. how do we make it more measurable? It's, it's more about asking creative questions that help to really unpack at the heart of what's there. So for example, if a client says, I'd like to lose weight, which is probably one of the most common client goals that we see, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's saying, okay, tell me more about that. Why? It's really asking why until you get to the true heart of the desire behind the goal. And, and only then can we really start the SMART goal setting process because we need to know much more about the why yeah. before we can launch right into the SMART process. Does that yeah. make sense? No, I think it definitely does in terms of making those connections with individuals. I think yeah. that sometimes when someone enters the industry and they're just starting off, uh, you know, they have a general roadmap of, okay, I have to take them in the office or I have to take them and sit them down with the talk. And I, then I got to get this basic information about them. Then I got to give them a workout and then I got to pitch them mm -hmm. on a, on a, a package, a personal training package. But right. in that the bigger, more important things are, creating that relationship with them because ultimately they're investing in you mm -hmm. they're investing in your knowledge and your ability to help them. And so if you're able to get those questions out of them and understand why they're there, they're going to have that connection with you and ultimately hopefully feel safer or better with investing money in your personal training services and your ability to help them. And I think that that is the takeaway right now is that, you're trying to create these relationships and get them to open up to you because often it on a, you know, more surface level, it's, it is the, I want to lose weight. I want to look better, but yeah. why is it, is it for health reasons? Do you have a pre-existing condition? Do you have a goal in mind? Do you have a event that you're going to, that you want to look better for? Or do you have someone that you want to impress? Whatever that might be, there is something underlying that can help you bring that out. But like you said earlier, create that uh we'll say or well you can empower them to take ownership of it 
which yes. I think is very important. Yeah, and it's and it's coming from a more intrinsic place rather yes. than extrinsic, right? We're getting into exercise psychology here, but <laughs> uh, where you're asking good questions to know is this goal something that the client has chosen for themselves or is it something that is a should they feel like they should have this goal based on what their physician has said or what a family member has said mm -hmm. um, versus you know is this a goal that's stemming from a true desire within themselves which the research tells us folks are more likely to get motivated, stay motivated, and sustain a behavior if it's from an intrinsic place. Yeah. So if we can help, if we can help ourselves understand and then help our clients understand where the goal is coming from, we can really be empowering them to, to approach the goal from a, a place of much greater motivation and, and help them to sustain behavior in a much more powerful way. Yeah. So quick side note, um, yeah. when I asked the SMART goals um, mm -hmm. question and then even the follow-up was kind of funny is that for the listeners, uh, Dr. Donlin was one of my professors when I was in college and the class that uh, I'll say that is exercise psychology, I forgot the exact name of it, but she yeah. was actually my professor for it. And we had to do a project very similar to kind of what we outlined here, where we had to come up with smart goals and a track and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, when you're in college and you are just trying to get the, cl the class done, sometimes you don't understand the application of it, but it's all coming, coming forward right now, the application and how personal trainers can apply it. Yeah. Isn't it fun how everything comes full circle like that? How sometimes it's not until like 10 to 15 years after you've gone through a particular course where you're like, oh, that's how it works. Exactly. <laughs> Coming full circle today. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, something you mentioned earlier that uh, I think every time you see it um, written in a textbook or a research article, um, involving seniors is the barriers, the barriers to entry, the barriers to starting a workout program. Can you share some of those? Because I think that personal trainers, they understand that this mm -hmm. is an audience that can help from a business aspect. They can help build your business middle of the day who's mm -hmm. available, retired, seniors, elderly that have this time. The gym's not as uh, busy. They can do more things and feel more safe. What are some of those barriers that you see with uh, seniors adhering to a program? Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. And I, I really appreciate that question. It's very timely because I just had a master's degree student actually defend her thesis looking at and exploring barriers and motivators to exercise Perfect. in older adults. So it's top of mind. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll share you know, some of the research around that, but I'll also share um, some of my experience and some yeah. anecdotal data from what I see at LifeFit. Yeah. So one of the biggest barriers for older adults, of course, can be underlying conditions, uh, chronic illness, chronic disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, osteoarthritis. Those, of course, can be big barriers to starting an exercise program. And um, I think it's really important that the older adult would have confidence in their trainer to know and understand 
what those conditions are and how those conditions may influence someone's exercise experience um, and how, how they need program design to tailor toward that. Mm-hmm. Another barrier that the research ha- has identified um, is age appropriateness. And I can also speak to that from an experiential and anecdotal standpoint. When we have new members sign up at LifeFit, one of their hesitations sometimes in engaging in personal training is that they're concerned that their personal trainer is going to push them too hard or isn't going to design a program that's age appropriate or takes into consideration um, past or current injuries or limitations. So those are some of the the biggest barriers that I've seen in the research and then also um, experientially and anecdotally. I, I think another one would be motivation um, and, and lifestyle choice. What's interesting now with older adults, right? Like older adults now are one of the first generations of older adults where it's been a normative behavior to like go to the gym for exercise throughout their adult years. Hmm. So now that's kind of normalized where um, they, that's been a part of, for some of them, uh, a part of their lifestyle, but for others coming back into exercise after retirement may be the first time that they have exercised in 20 or 30 years because they were prioritizing work or family or other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are all considerations too, where there's the, the factor of being hesitant because it's, it's unknown or unfamiliar. Um, so making people comfortable with the context you know, whether it's in a fitness facility or if you're doing in-home training, um, but integrating them back into the world of exercise and, and easing into it. Yeah. It, and from a um, health and wellness component, those are areas that asking questions, understanding those, those barriers, that's where it comes in. If you go into it and just think, okay, this person is a senior and I'm just going to walk them through some basic exercises, you're not, you're not getting the full picture in terms of how you can help them. They might have barriers. Like one of my uh, ones that always sticks out to me when working with seniors is the transportation. How are they going to get to the facility? Is there a community shuttle or a bus? Do they have someone or are they still able to drive? Is it safe for them to drive? Is it close enough for them to walk? All these components go into them even just getting there. So Finding out these types of details can help you, one, be more of a fitness professional, being able to understand where they're coming from and potentially solve these issues with them to make Mm -hmm. sure they're getting consistent exercise, but also diving deeper into uh, the connection with them, building that relationship with them. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of building relationship, I, I think you hit on an important point there where for older adults, probably more important than the fitness routine itself is the social component. Yes. <laughs> so them, they're, they're very interested in building a relationship with you as the fitness professional. And they're very interested in building relationships with their fellow members. Um, and so I think there's a lot of value in creating space for the relationship and 
being connected in that way and taking time to build and nurture the relationship that you have with an older adult client. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on, there was something that you mentioned with the, the research and um, mm-hmm. kind of what uh, you've seen with a generation that you're seeing that's now coming into um, the fitness facilities. You mentioned how this is uh, a demographic that was either introduced before to the gym or they have an understanding of this is where you go to exercise. Um, can you kind of dive more into that? I think that that was such an interesting piece is it because um, they exercised prior or was it that at the time the fitness industry was still getting going and that people were saying, Oh, exercise is good. Exercise is good for, you know, longevity and those types of things. Yeah. Well, great question. And I think the fitness industry, the fitness and exercise industry um, has evolved so much in the last 20 years, right? That we've Mm -hmm. seen so much change, but, but the industry itself or the idea of exercising really goes back to like the seventies where there was the, the jogging movement, right? Mm-hmm. And then we got into more fitness industry and fitness facility-based activities like in the 80s and aerobics became more popular mm-hmm. and going to the gym came, became more popular. So now this generation of older adults, you know, if, if someone is... 60 now then they were in their like late teens early 20s when that when all of that was coming into play and Mm -hmm. so it's a more normalized behavior to be engaged in personal fitness Mm. does that make sense yeah much better yeah yeah so i think folks are seeking i think that that's something that if someone hasn't had time in their adult years while they're working and have a family, if they haven't prioritized their personal fitness during that time, then they start to prioritize it post-retirement. Like, I can't tell you how many members at LifeFit, the initial conversation that I have with them is about how they're so excited to attend to their personal fitness now after having to put it on the back burner during their working years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's it's, um, something that's I would just say more present in older adults' minds in terms of wanting to engage in personal fitness. Yeah. Something that comes to my mind was um, roughly, I'll say six to eight years ago, I used to run a boot camp in Long Beach, California. And I always used to see this older gentleman um, at the time, maybe late seventies, eighties, and he would always come walk his dog around the park. And he would always say, you know, he would always give a thumbs up, say how great everybody's doing. And th- this was, you know, six, eight years ago when he was, when this was happening. So I don't know, unfortunately, if he's alive or not, um, or even if his dog's alive. Um, but one of the conversations I had with, with him was prior to him going off to fight in a world war, um, he was a professional baseball player. And at the time, they did not exercise. They did not strength train. They did not understand the benefit for it to athletic performance. And so he would always say, oh man, this is so great. I wish we had this kind of knowledge back when I was 
uh, a baseball athlete. I wish I knew what this could do for my health. You know, he was, he'd be like, now it's a little too, he would say this, but I you know, of course don't agree. He said, it's a little too late for me now, but back then this would have been great. But now thinking about even just a couple of years ago when I was still personal training and I would work with retired um, elder, uh, elder population, they understand the importance for exercising to make things better for them for their activities, whether it's golf, swimming, being with the grandchildren, or going off with their friends, whatever that might be. They understand that this isn't a benefit them now. So just thinking, and my guess is that there's probably a 20, 25 year age gap between the two individuals that I have in mind right now. But that is exactly kind of what you're saying with this, what we're kind of seeing with this generation that's coming in now. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I appreciate, that's why I appreciate the paradigm of wellness coaching so much Mm -hmm. because it's a much more holistic approach that we take with our clients. Right. So it's, it's not just about learning about your health history and learning about your current and past injuries and what kind of exercise you like or don't like it's it's so much more it's learning about your family it's learning about your nutrition your sleep patterns your mm-hmm. stress levels it's seeing the whole person and then it's building a wellness plan and program around that so it's so much more than just writing a top notch exercise program yes agreed and and that's why i appreciate so much the wellness paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. So with getting more to the education and the application of the education, in your opinion, why don't you think that there's more of wellness and health education in, in certifications? Yeah. I, I think a big part of it is that again, because wellness is such a huge umbrella term with so many different pieces and components that we have to almost compartmentalize because there's so much information to cover Mm -hmm. from an education and a certification standpoint for each piece, right? Like for a certified personal trainer, there's so much information to cover Mm -hmm. in education and certification, continuing education. On the nutrition side, there's so much to cover. Sleep, stress management, exercise psychology, right? Yeah. So I think that it's not more integrated because there's so much content already to cover Mm -hmm. just to have basic understanding and basic competency to get certified in some of these different areas. Mm -hmm. So I always encourage folks getting into the fitness and wellness industry to, to dabble is the term that I use, you know, dabble in personal training, dabble in group fitness. If you've got a passion for nutrition, get a few nutrition certifications, or if you want to continue your education and get a degree in that realm and, and experience all of those different pieces and those different aspects of wellness, but then think about, from a professional standpoint, how can you bring that together collectively so that what you have to offer a client 
is so much more. Like right now for me in my wellness coaching business, I feel like I have so much more to offer clients than when I just put on my personal trainer hat. I like that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think what we, why we don't see it integrated more is that there's so much content for each realm, but I think there's a lot of value in incorporating pieces of wellness coaching into different certifications. I'll give you a specific example. I think in a personal training certification, it's so valuable to have the exercise psychology and the wellness coaching piece of it because like I was saying before, it helps us to better understand our clients' goals mm -hmm. and to better program for them than as a result of that. And it also helps you to frame things uh, as more than just exercise. And I think that that's really important. Yeah. So I'm going to attack this from a different direction because, mm -hmm. and I want to get your response to it as well. So in my opinion, I think that entry-level certifications, some of them, I'll say, focus too much on the exercise science components. And I don't want to dismiss the valuable um, education in exercise sciences or exercise phys, anatomy, mm -hmm. biomechanics, sure. all that kind of stuff, because it's very important. But at the same time, this is information that people with degrees, they spend semesters on. Mm -hmm. sometimes two semesters, depending upon yeah. what the course is. So to get that in 20, 25 pages, it's really just a, a, a quick review. Just how you're saying it's, there's so much information out there. And I've heard from many directors of educations, executives for gym chains that they actually want more education and they believe that education on the wellness, but also the exercise psych is very important for an entry-level fitness professional because of many reasons that we've already stated about the connections sure. that they're making with clients, their ability to those interpersonal skills, how they value those over the exercise science in their opinion. So I think that it's a give and take, but also it's um, a little bit of the, what some believe is more important than the other. And I don't want to, you know, say that some were, uh, some certifications are putting too much value on, on others, but other educational companies, and I'm not trying to put, Kips in this whole realm of it, but some of them get known for certain things. You know, this mm -hmm. certification is known for the bit, they're really good with the business aspect. This certification, their exam's really hard, or this certification, they, their text is really long, and there's a lot of in-depth information. How much of that do I need to understand? I think that uh, with the competencies that are required for personal training, I think sometimes, or in my opinion, right now, we're not placing enough emphasis on these types of skills. But um, a part of this is also the, I feel like there is a stigma attached to some of the health and wellness coaching. I think that some individuals think that it is, I think there's a, maybe a gender bias for it. I think that they think it's not important, but I will speak from experience on this, that some of the uh, students that have taken even the KIPPS wellness coaching certification is their strength coaches, male personal trainers, that for all the reasons that we've talked about in terms of adherence, being able to understand the client or athlete, that is why they take that type of course. Absolutely. 
And another incredibly valuable takeaway from wellness coaching is making the process a client-driven process. Yeah. And I think for, we, we get used to as strength and conditioning coaches or working with athletes, it, it's, that's not always an athlete-centered, athlete-focused, it doesn't move in that direction all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think I, my hope would be that athletic coaches, strength and conditioning coaches would find incredibly valuable some of the skill sets that you learn through a wellness coaching curriculum as far as um, client interviewing. So athlete interviewing, how to, yeah. how to ask the questions to get to the heart of what's going to motivate your athlete, your client to perform. Mm-hmm. And really then being able to frame that into the larger conversations and the larger program designs that are going to set your athlete up for success. So I can absolutely see why there's so much value because there's cognitive behavioral interviewing technique that you learn. Yeah. Um, So just some incredibly valuable skill sets that you pick up from going through a curriculum like a wellness coaching curriculum that would benefit any type of fitness strength and conditioning professional. Absolutely. Yeah. With the sleep aspect, aspect, you've mentioned that a couple mm-hmm. of times and mm-hmm. late more, more of lately, I've actually seen the importance of sleep into my own uh, strength and conditioning. And what are some of those aspects that you see benefit clients? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is just an awareness of how much sleep affects everything else that we do. Unfortunately, I think we still get a societal message that, you know, the most successful people, the most driven, the most ambitious people are the people who don't need to sleep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's so untrue. And, And you're starting to see, and I really appreciate more successful people coming out and talking about the value of sleep, like Jeff Bezos and Ariana Huffington. Um, And I think for clients, what's so important for them to know would be the value of sleep hygiene. So establishing a sleep routine. And I mean that in terms of a sleep schedule, like trying to go to bed and wake up around the same time each day developing a routine of how do you wind down and start to get get your body and your mind ready for sleep mm-hmm. and making that consistent from day to day and your sleep environment down to the level of what's the lighting like in your room what's the temperature of your room because there are there are ideal temperatures for us to sleep at and that becomes increasingly important for athletes or folks interested in athletic or recreational performance mm-hmm. and and ultimately it's our sleep that helps to define and dictate our circadian rhythm which defines and dictates all of our hormonal rhythms which are incredibly important for appetite regulation, for energy regulation, for metabolic regulation. So for me, I see sleep as really the catalyst for a lot of our other health and wellness habits. Yeah, yeah. 
with sleep, you know, that has been, as, as I mentioned before, I asked was something that I've been thinking a lot more lately with at the time of us recording this, we are kind of in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 process. And um, some people are probably very much in the same boat, not leaving yeah. their house, not leaving their space and how that affects their sleep. And prior to uh, this happening, um, I found for myself that getting in a routine for sleep, but also with my day. And yeah. this is kind of tying into what you said with um, the whole society in terms of you got to be work, work, work. I think what really helped me was finding a rhythm that worked for me. I think mm -hmm. that we as a society, we get caught up in that you got to wake up early. You know, early bird catches a warmer. You got to wake up early to get all these things done. And for a long, the longest time, I think four years, I taught a 5.30 a.m. boot camp. I woke up at 4.45, mm -hmm. got 15 minutes to get up and out the door and go teach this morning boot camp. And then I had to go work. And so that process of waking up early, uh, there is a sleep routine in incorporated. You have to be in bed by a certain time. But at the same time, it didn't work for me. I didn't feel like I could get a good training session in. I felt drowsy despite the routines that I set up. It wasn't uh -huh. until the last maybe year and a half that I finally found a routine that works for me. What I do when I wake up, what I do prior to working out, and then my schedule that I've created, it works for me. I think that that is something that's important. Um, and I'm sharing from more experience right here. Uh, but I think that clients will come to you with these types of questions as well. Well, I heard that it's recommended that you exercise at this time, or I heard that it's recommended that you eat this, or I heard it's recommended that you go to sleep at this time. Well, at the same time, it, I think that the individualization comes into play as well. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And in, in terms of another thing that I really appreciate about the wellness coaching paradigm is making everything client specific. Yeah. And I, I think that's also why it's so important to unpack the goals, right? Because if, if you were to say to me as a client, Tyler, right? Like, well, I want to get in a, into a sleep routine and I want to wake up at 530 and that's what I want as my sleep routine. We could stop there and then I could say, okay, well, what are some of the things that we want to establish as part of your sleep routine? What time are you going to try and go to bed? Those kinds of things. Or I could ask, why is it that you want to be waking up at 530? Is that out of necessity? Is that something that you could change or you have control over? Do you notice that your body does better if you wake up a little bit later? Mm -hmm. Like those are such valuable and important questions to ask because then you can tailor the information specifically for the client. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah. So I think that that's huge. And, and that's in more realms than just sleep, right? That's in the fitness realm. That's in the nutrition realm right now intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating are so popular and so people come in with those types of goals and I think it's so important to ask okay you want to do intermittent fasting why is that what mm -hmm. results are you looking for have you tried this before how has that felt on your body what other approaches have you taken and it, it's really this wonderful human experience um, and human experiment that yes. you get to do with your client. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really like all that right there. The, I think 
important thing that in every podcast that I've done is talking about the client application, but also individualization and also where this fits into your business. I think all those things are so important for any fit pro, whether a personal trainer, strength coach, group X, all those things, because you're really just trying to grow your business. These are keys that can open new doors for you and offer uh, an avenue for you to make more money. When, mm-hmm. you know, as a fitness professional, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to survive in this industry that has constant turnover and you constantly see people going in, coming out because they're, in, they're unable to find things that really work for them. They're trying to fit into a template of what works, what has worked for other people, but you're not those people. Mm-hmm. So I think what would be really cool right now for our podcast takeaway is mm-hmm. hearing how you personally integrate wellness, but also what you've heard about and why you integrate those. I think the why is going to be really interesting to hear, but also mm-hmm. what you're maybe even talking about before and also during, um, since this is a special time that when we're recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are you referring to my personal wellness, Tyler, or how I approach that with clients? Your personal wellness. Yeah. And I think that's where it all has to start. Right. And that's, I think a huge value point in going through a wellness coaching curriculum or certification is the first client to apply all of your newly acquired skill sets on is yourself (laughs) (laughs) because that's where it's got to start. And once you can effectively do that with yourself and for yourself, you're so much better at serving clients in that way. Um, So yes, this has been quite an interesting time during the coronavirus pandemic to practice wellness Mm -hmm. and to make sure that all of my personal wellness strategies are in play uh, so that I can be of better service to clients. And I've really gone back to the foundation of what I would do regardless of external circumstance. But I think one of the, one of the biggest questions to ask oneself is, you know, what is under my control right now? And Mm. let's start with that. And where there can feel like there are a lot of things that are outside of my control or outside of my sphere of influence, what's within my control and within my sphere of influence. And so I actually looked at this as an incredible time to revisit my sleep routine and habits, Mm. um, because that's something that now I have complete control over with having more control and ownership of my time. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at my exercise routine and habits and my nutrition routine and habits and how I'm connecting with my family, um, my husband, and I have a daughter who's about to turn two in a week. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, how do I prioritize and spend time with them? And then how am I connecting with my f- extended family and my friends? And so I, I stepped back and took, I zoomed out <laughs> and I took a, a big picture perspective on all of these different components of wellness, right? And then started to then put them back together into a routine and into a rhythm that I knew would work for me 
during this time specifically. Mm. Um, and a, a big piece of my personal wellness practice uh, is my meditation practice. Mm. And that's been incredible during this time because it's a way for me to stay grounded and centered and make sure that the place that I'm making decisions from and the place that I'm responding to stimuli from uh, is a place of groundedness and a place of calm where I can have a perspective in reacting to and responding to things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that one, I got to say this, that I appreciate you sharing what your family circle looks like, because I'm sure that there are our listeners, fitness professionals that have young um, mm-hmm. children in the house right now that they're having to uh, figure out ways to still work with them around the house. And they might get into that. Um, I don't want to call it a pitfall or they might get into that mindset that uh, I just have, I, I can't, I just can't do it right now. And it's, like how you're saying, you're finding these ways to step back, look at it and find solutions for it. I think that that is the important thing. Because it's one thing for me to say, I don't have, I'll admit that I do not have any children. I can, I'm only looking from the outside in with, with that area, but you do. And you yeah. are sharing ways that you are actively taking control of it and, and reevaluating wellness within your life. Yeah. And another thing that has really helped give me perspective is to think about the example that I want to set for my child at this time, right? Mm -hmm. Like how I'm reacting to and responding to this context and how I'm working hard to take care of myself and my family during this time. And I, another perspective that I really like and I use a lot is what stories do I want to be able to tell after all of this is over. <laughs> mm-hmm. When when you're reminiscing on this time with your adult children or your grandchildren or even your friends, you know, 20 years from now, who do you want to be during this time so that you can, when you're telling the stories, you are the person who you want to be in the stories that you're telling. I right? like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. And who who do we want to be showing up for our clients? Yeah. And when this is over, you know, our clients are going to look back on this and say, wow, like you really showed up for me during a difficult time. Um, and that is one of the most valuable gifts that we can give anyone is, is showing up, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And, you know, to kind of wrap things up and kind of leave the listeners with a story that really kind of, I'll say got to me, not so much the movie. Uh, I'm sure many people are watching movies right now and they're going through all their streaming services and they're (laughs) trying to find something to keep the time going. And uh, I'd already seen this movie before and it's on Netflix right now. It's called bleed for this. It has miles Teller in it. And at the end there's this interview part and this is a movie it's fiction. I don't know if this is real, the end of it, but it really hit home with me with, kind of what we're going through, but also um, finding that motivation is the main actor, Miles Teller, is getting interviewed by somebody and she's, the, the interviewee, interviewer goes, you know, what do you want the people to know? And he goes, that it was that easy. And, you know, the listeners and the viewer are like, well, what? What was easy? 
Um, to give a little bit of context to it, he was in a bad car accident. It's based on a true story. He was in a bad car accident, potentially could have never walked, could have potentially never done anything. And he eventually came back to get back into boxing after that, after this horrible accident. And he says that it's that easy, that people, they want you to believe that it is hard. They want you to think that you can't do it. But if you do what they tell you to do, you do what you know is right, you can do it. And to me, that just hit home with what's going on right now and you know, trying to find motivation to work out, to work, all these kinds of things. It is that easy. You can wake up. You can log back into your work. You can still work out. The situation might be different. Mm-hmm. You might have to find body weight stuff. You might have to find weights in different areas. You might have to do something that's not what you like but you can do it still. Yeah. And it's the easy part, right? Is when you break it down from macro to micro. So when you're making the decision each day, just commit to today. (laughs) I'm going to do this for today. And then tomorrow you wake up and you, you make that decision again. And, and it's out of that, one of the things that I always talk to clients about is keeping things simple enough that you can be consistent with them, which turns into sustainability. Yep. And I, I think that that's what this time is all about. You've got to break it down into small digestible micro steps and commit to doing that. And, and then you can kind of, you can open things up and you can keep your world open because this is also a time where out of necessity, we are forced to be creative and resourceful. And I find myself coming up with ideas of workouts that I'm doing in my backyard. Like this morning, I I literally woke up giddy Hmm. with, with thinking about all of the different movements that I could do in my backyard. At first it was overwhelming and daunting, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I'm like writing things down and I'm thinking about how I can share this with clients and what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it also becomes a time of incredible opportunity. Uh, and so I think if we can keep that perspective, it's really helpful. Agreed. A hundred percent agree. So Dr. Ayla Dolan, can you before we log off here, can you share some information about where people can find you, social uh, media uh, tags and all that kind of stuff? You bet. I'm on Instagram. My handle there is at Ayla Donlin Wellness. You can connect with me there. You can also find the Life Fit Center website, which is simply csulb.edu because that's California State University Long Beach.edu go backslash beach. go beach. <laughs> backslash life fit. So you can connect with me there. And the life fit center is also on Instagram. The handle is life fit center at the beach. If you want to check out our employee wellness program on Instagram, our handle is at go beach. Well, and then I'm also on Twitter as Ayla Donlin. So you could follow me there. I'm not as active on Twitter. I'm, I'm more active on Instagram. So that would be the best place to to network with me. Um, also LinkedIn and I'm on LinkedIn as Ayla Donlin. Perfect. Really great stuff. I appreciate you coming on, sharing personal experience, but also ways for fitness professionals to apply this information right away. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Tyler. It was my pleasure. And I hope that you stay well and to all of your listeners, 
Uh, may you all be well too.